Hello and welcome to the Real Food Whole Health Podcast, where it's all about real food and holistic living in the real world. With your host, nutritional therapist, Amy Love. And please note our disclaimer, all information and content in this podcast is for general information only and not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Thanks so much for joining us on the Real Food Whole Health Podcast. Today, we're visiting with Jesse and Allison from the At the Table Podcast. Thanks so much for being here, ladies. Thanks, Thanks for us. having us. Oh, so glad that you're here. We're going to say everything at the same time. So yeah. <laughs> well, as long as we can do that, that, that would be good. Well, and I will say we have a, a, a tiny additional guest as well. Allison has a wonderful eight-week-old son mm-hmm. that we might hear in the background from time to time, so we can all ooh and all over any little baby gurgles. <laughs> he's a, we like to say that he's growling. It's If we, like, shift him in any way when he's comfortable, he growls at us. That's that's what's happening right now. That's pretty much it how I so cute. Yeah, me too. I always growl when people resituate me. <laughs> That's pretty cute. That's wonderful. Well, um, ladies, I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm just really excited about getting into this with you and, and seeing, like, what really brought you to, like, health coaching. I know that, Jesse, you're a registered dietitian, correct? Yep. And Allison, you're a holistic health coach. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I'm always interested to find out, like, how people got started because, like, for me, being a nutritional therapist, I really came to coaching through my own health challenges and my own health transformation and wanting to shortcut that for other people because I didn't want people to suffer like I had suffered. So, you know, it's really interesting, but I like to see where people come from. So tell me how you got started with this work. Okay, I'll start. This is Jesse. For me, it started, I think, at a younger age. I was always pretty active. I danced most of my life and but growing up I saw my parents struggle a lot with their weight and I feel like every adult I knew was always talking about losing weight or dieting or this next diet that they found out about that they were going to try and mm-hmm. I felt like as I got older I just went on this mission to like find some answers um which it's funny because the more and more I do this work, the realize the more I realize there are, are like no answers. <laughs> it really is so individualized for people, which um, which makes it even more interesting. Uh, but yeah, I you know growing up, I you know I kind of just I don't know. I took I took that I took seeing my parents to uh, to find out some more information, and I started uh, working as a personal trainer actually when I was. Um, 18. So when I mm-hmm. first graduated from high school and my first, uh, I always talk about this, like the first, my first stint in the fitness world was like doing Richard Simmons VHS workout sweat into the oldies tapes, like in my mom's living room. <laughs> <laughs> Cause she used to work for this company that sold his videos. And I was like such a fan. <laughs> So I love that. I was, That's and I was like eight. I was like, I love this guy. He's so, I thought he was so inspiring. And I kind of like, I think on some level knew I wanted to do something like that. Um, so it's kind of bizarre that I do stuff like that now. 
<laughs> I love it. Yeah, I remember the Jane Fonda video. Mm-hmm. Like, we had, yeah. yeah, the Jane Fonda workout I would do. Like, you know, we were talking, like, 80s and early 90s. But, yeah, and it's really interesting that you came from, like, a preventative perspective, you know, seeing your family go through these challenges. And I totally agree with you and do remember the, you know, in the 80s and 90s, always adults I knew were on diet after diet after diet. If it yeah. wasn't the crazy grapefruit diet, it was the cabbage soup diet right. or it was Weight Watchers or it was this or that. Yeah. I mean, for me too, I tried myself so many different things and I never, I mean, I was never very overweight or like had any real like serious health issues, but I was always trying different things to see like what the effect was I felt like I put myself through like a crazy human experiment sometimes because (laughs) I was like I tried the Atkins diet and this is again like I was pretty young at this time but like Atkins and the zone diet and like you know every every diet book I could get my hand South Beach like could get my hands on I was like well let's see like what happens if you try this um and of course like you know they all work to some extent depending on what you know results you want to see but to stick with something for a long time, um, I think is the hardest thing to find. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like you said before, which, you know, I have found as well, is like the more that we learn and the more we work with people and whatever, the less there are clear cut answers. There's no right. one size fits all. So that's really interesting. Allison, did you have any, um, you know, crazy dieting that you did? Or I know that you kind of came to this through some health challenges, right? Yes. Best stories. I did. <laughs> Best stories. Um, I did come to this line of work through health challenges, mostly with my digestion, but also a lot with um, disorders. Disordered eating. I never had a clinically diagnosed eating disorder, but I had a lot of disordered eating tendencies um, and, you know, mm-hmm. chronic cardio exercising. And I found that my diet at the time really caused a lot of my digestive issues. And I, when I made that connection between my diet and my digestion, something kind of clicked and I thought more about taking care of myself and was able to heal my digestion and remedy or, you know, change my relationship with food and change, get out of some of those disordered eating patterns. So that's really what what inspired me to go into this line of work was to help other people because I knew how hard it was to struggle with food and have food be such an an enemy. Um, So I wanted people to feel more at ease around food and also to be healthy and heal their digestion. And, you know, you eat every day. It's not something you can avoid. And when you feel bad about what you're eating, it just... can permeate your entire life. So feeling good and happy and at ease with what you're eating is so important to me. And I really like to try and help other people feel that same kind of ease around food. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important to ease. And, you know, it's like, like you said, it's not something we can avoid. So having that primary thing be so easy for us to influence, you know, it, it really ripples out to the rest of our life and what we have control over. And, and of course, as we know, food uh, affects more than just a few things, mm-hmm. right? You know, it literally builds our entire body. Like if we didn't have the raw materials from food, we would actually not exist. We need like all the vitamins and minerals to build everything, our cells, our hair, our nails, our, you know, every single part of our bodies and to influence our mood, to Mm -hmm. influence our emotions. So it really ripples out to absolutely everything. Yeah. I think a lot of people are surprised when they stop to think about it, how 
their food and how they think about food affects the other areas of their life, like their career and their spirituality and their social activity. You know, all those areas can be really highly influenced by your thoughts and feelings around food. I think a lot of people don't realize that also. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so true. It is so true because it's so integral. And you know how you interact with friends and your family and all of that, like so many of those things center around food. So when we start making changes to the diet and we start transforming things like that, there's a lot of times that that there is sort of a, a crazy transition period where mm-hmm. maybe, you know, you don't have the support or the community or things that you, you know, kind of need or were used to. Yeah. There's a huge kind of shift there. Yeah. Jesse, have your parents kind of like uh, taken to the work that you are doing now? Do they feel like... You know, have they kind of, like, conquered their their health challenges as well? Yeah, well, I honestly can't take credit for it unless they have, like, somehow learned through osmosis from me, like, capturing <laughs> them my whole life. But over the past couple of years, um, they've both, like, drastically changed their habits. And it's, I mean, and stayed consistent with it, which um, was, I think, their biggest struggle. They might, both of them have lost probably each about, over 50 pounds mm-hmm. um my mom's like an exercise fanatic or walking fanatic I should say now she walks like 20,000 steps a day or something ridiculous like that she, she walks tre- on her treadmill she has a treadmill desk, desk. yeah so I mean they've oh, really cool. both taken like huge strides to change like I mean simple habits it's not I mean, I, they're definitely, my mom, I think is like a little bit, like a little bit in the other direction. She's become kind of like obsessive with it, but, but they both, I mean, still really enjoy food. They're not like on any crazy restrictive diet or anything like that, but you know, they've just kind of built a lot more awareness around their habits around like, you know, my dad, my dad would think like, Oh, I don't, I don't eat anything throughout the day. So then I would like have, he'll have like a really big dinner. But he wasn't taking into account that he'd, like, grab, like, a handful of pistachios, like, 25 times, like, in this (laughs) jar that they kept in the kitchen. And it's not that, like, pistachios are bad or unhealthy. It's just that he had no idea that he was even doing that. Like, it was so brainless. And so, yeah, it's. It, it's really incredible to see, but I really it has nothing to do with me. Well, that's cool that there's been the transition that you've been able to watch and and learn from, and as well, you know. I mean, I think it's it's great when you can have that dialogue and kind of see like what's working for you and what's working for you. And so, do they typically stick to, and do you typically stick to just more of an open kind of real food? I know that Allison, you tend to follow a little bit more of the paleo template mm-hmm. uh-huh jesse do you are you kind of in the paleo world as well or just open real food um, or yeah more just real food i don't really follow any specific program I, I and again like but i do try and figure out what you know foods work best for me mm-hmm. um what foods feel good i think my, my parents definitely started um through just like straight up calorie counting but i remember like once my mom one of my cousins one day was telling asking my mom like how she lost so much weight and she and I wasn't in the conversation I just overheard her and she was like I've really just been focusing more on eating nutrient dense foods and I was like I'm gonna cry I can't believe you just said that (laughs) I thought it was like so amazing to hear her say that right Um, and that's like the same thing that I 
pretty much do. It's more about just eating real food. And, and I try and help people do that too. I think that there is a place for elimination if, you know, depending on your situation and what your, you know, health issues are like. But I think, um, most people that I tend to work with just need to start eating more real food, uh, mm-hmm. at least in the beginning before we can get more specific about things. Yeah, and start dialing down on, you know, are there issues or whatever. Allison, for you, was it really going to paleo because of the elimination of the grains that helped you with your digestive issues? Yeah, so I I, I really promote the paleo diet as a, a starting place for people that have digestive issues just because it is that anti-inflammatory diet. And for mm-hmm. me, I think it was getting rid of the dairy and then some of the other processed foods I was eating. There was a time when I would – all I really ate were um, low-fat or reduced-fat blueberry muffins from Dunkin' Donuts and large coffees with three Splendas in them. That was and, one of the stories I was referring to. Oh, yeah. And I used to work at a coffee <laughs> shop where I drink coffee all day, and every coffee I had, I put three Splenda in it. And oh. it really wreaked havoc on my digestion. So for me, it was getting to real food eliminating some of the dairy, eliminating the grains. I don't actually have a sensitivity to gluten, I found out, but for me, it's more of a mental attachment to it. You know, I feel that it kind of pulls me back into that spiral of, you know, wanting to eat all the donuts and wanting to eat all the cake, which is not bad, um, Mm -hmm. but it it kind of muffles those inner body cues that I have, that I promote, like try to get people to listen to um, and get into a more of a a place of intuitive eating so for me I think of paleo as a good starting point but not the end point so like Jesse said I try to help people figure out what foods really work for them and get to the bottom of their relationships with food like I got to the bottom of my relationship with glutinous foods like donuts and muffins so (laughs) Mm -hmm. finding balance and figuring out where those foods actually fit in your life because you know I would be sad if I couldn't ever eat a donut or a muffin ever again Right, right. It is all about balance. And, you know, I love that. And I I really like the fact that, you know, neither one of you is like really all about the dogma, because I think when we get into the dogma and we get into the strict, you know, oh, this way and only this way is the only way to be healthy, you know, we eliminate so, so very much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think at different times for different people, different things work because even if we start with something, like you said, it's the starting point and not the end point. We may start with something, start with an elimination, start with a blood sugar handling diet, something, um, or even just going from standard American to, you know, real food. Um, you know, we may need to make tweaks along the way um, as we change and grow in our health journey and certainly as different things come into our life because what you need, for instance, Allison, as you know, (laughs) you know, a new mom, you know, being pregnant and being a new mom, like you have different nutritional requirements than you did, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, and I I know I always – stray away. I mean, I really, not, you know, when an interview like this, it's different, but when like clients ask me like, oh, what kind of diet do you follow or what do you eat? I, even if I was following a really strict like paleo or vegan diet or something, I probably wouldn't tell people that because I think you do have to be flexible and you do have to change and what works for you now might not work for you in five years or 10 years or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, Or if you decide to start training for a triathlon or 
uh, bodybuilding competition, whatever you might start doing, I think. And then people look at you funny if you decide to change your mind. <laughs> so I right. think that, um, I don't know. I always try and keep it as open as possible. <laughs> at least when I talk yeah. to people about it. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, just real food, I think, is one thing that it's kind of the banner over all of it that I think we can all agree on that, like, you know, processed foods don't help anyone. There's really not a place for highly processed chemical laden foods in a healthy lifestyle. Like we're talking, you know, if you happen to have a thing here or there, whatever, like, but I think real food is sort of the banner and sort of the template to build on. And then all the other stuff just ripples down from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it's certainly more than food, isn't it? I know, Jesse, um, on your website, you know, you've got some different categories, uh, you know, the eat, sweat, breathe, repeat, you know, and it's like that kind of reminds me of our essential elements of whole health where it's like real food is only part of the story. Like changing your diet is only one thing. There's a lot of, you know, other things to take into that, like movement and meditation and mindfulness and, you know, getting the toxins out and simplifying and all of these things. Those all have a place in, in health. Yeah. And one of the things I always talk to people about, and this is something that I still to this day struggle with. I think everyone in America does is not necessarily what you're eating, but how you're eating. And Mm -hmm. I know like you could have the healthiest diet, but if you're eating every meal in front of your computer, answering emails or in front of the television or like driving in your car, um, it's still going to have a somewhat negative impact on your body. Not as bad as if it was, you know, donuts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner while also doing those things. But, um, you know, I've had people kind of argue with me on it. Well, what if I just, like, sat in front of the TV and ate carrots at night instead of popcorn? And I'm like, well, that's healthier, I guess, but you're still (laughs) feeding the habit of of mindless eating. And I, I mean, I'm not perfect in any sense in this, um, in this regard, but it, I know for myself, it makes such a huge difference in how I feel after I eat, if I can actually sit down and do it without distractions or obviously with other people, um, is a little bit, is obviously nicer than sitting down and eating by yourself, but. Right, because you're doing more than just nourishing yourself with the food. Like, you know, when you're doing the mindless eating or whatever, it's like, okay, yeah, you're putting better vitamins and minerals in, right? Right. You know, you're putting better macronutrients in, so that's great. You're not poisoning yourself with whatever chemicals might have been in whatever snack food you were eating before. So, yeah, that's an improvement. But when we sit down and we, you know, focus on our food and we engage in conversation with other people and, you know, take in the – experience of eating it nourishes us on many many other levels than just food right yeah and that's huge it is and it's so hard (laughs) at the same time Um, it is because, because a lot of us aren't used to that right and I think the pull of technology is I mean that's the biggest one for me at least is so strong now because it's everywhere. It's like you can open your laptop, you can look at your phone, you can watch the television, you know, you can be driving in your car, like you're eating on the go. I know there's so many things that you see now, like on the go, on the go. And it's like, well, maybe we don't all need to be on the go all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like chill out. 
for a little bit and we'll be fine. Right. Exactly. That kind of um, the culture of, you know, being busy, the glorification of busy Mm -hmm. is is such a huge thing. And I find it's much harder to kind of change the how you're eating rather than the what, just because it is a lifestyle change. You have to think about, okay, well, how do I not be as busy so I can take this time to eat lunch? And a lot of people don't feel like they have the time to eat or they don't they can't think of what they would give up in order to be able to eat lunch, like undistracted. Right. Right. And I think, too, again, like, are we talking about every meal has to be at a set table with a candle lit and, (laughs) you know, your family around or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, your cat, you know, whatever (laughs) it is. Like, you know, are we talking about that? No, we're not. It's really more about a mindset, a mindfulness of what you're doing in that space and not just you know, hand to mouth with the food. Yeah. So even if you are connecting with somebody online or you are doing something else at the same time, you can be mindful about your food while you're doing that. You can be mindful about the act of nourishing yourself. You can be, allow that space, really. It's about allowing the space and making it a sacred, important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if it's just for like a portion of the time, you know, mm-hmm. if you're like, well, I'm going to eat for five minutes without any distractions, but then I can open my email again. And mm-hmm. you might kind of forget that you wanted to open your email. In the- I like that. I like that because it's not an all or nothing. Right. You know, there's a lot of gray area there. Yeah. There's always a little bit of a better than, you know, exactly progression. Yeah. Rather than, oh, yeah, you have to be 100% perfect all the time on point. Nobody's there. Yeah. <laughs> Newsflash, nobody's there. Yeah. I talked to. No, we're not going to get there. I talked to another nutritionist a while ago who um, says the same thing. Like she said, I really try to just always make the better choice. Even if it's not the, the best choice, there's mm-hmm. a better choice. And that's, I always bring that up when people talk about like it's hard to eat healthy at the airport or when you're traveling and it's like yeah but there's a better choice you know Mm -hmm. and I I I mean sometimes like Jake my boyfriend will make fun of me for this because I'll like get a pizza but put vegetables on it I'm like well to Mm -hmm. me that's the better choice and he's like but it's still pizza I'm like I know but it just I don't know (laughs) it just feels like a better always like there's a better there's in between and I Mm -hmm. think that I've worked with a lot of people who if they can't have the best choice they just go for like the worst possible thing they can find Mm -hmm. even if it's not really what they wanted you know what I mean so, yeah, it's like, okay, if there's a big difference in ordering, like, you know, the discount pizza chain pizza and, and like, a, a local restaurant that does wood-fired, you know, handmade crust, right. like, that kind of thing. Like, you could still have something in the realm of what you're talking about, which, by the way, is going to be way better <laughs> than the bargain basement, you know, full of chemical stuff. But, yeah, I absolutely get that mindset. It's it's the all or nothing and it can be really damaging, not just from a food perspective, but from just an entire lifestyle perspective of, you know, holding yourself to that standard and having that pressure and like, you know, the perfectionism, it always has to be this way. Mm -hmm. You run into that a lot with people just starting out on the paleo diet too, especially since it's become so popular. 
Um, and you feel like you have to have grass-fed meat, you have to have pasture-raised eggs, and if you can't have the best of the best, then you might as well not have it, you know? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that do promote that way of thinking. It reminds me of something I read of Rob Wolf a a long time ago. He was saying, you know, people have that mindset, if you can't have 100% pasture-raised, grass-fed, grass-finished beef, you might as well just eat a donut because you're not eating good food if you're not eating that Mm -hmm. high-quality food. Um, So it is, like, it, I, it's interesting that you, when you said that about the pizza, Jesse, it got me yeah. thinking because I think the same way as Jake when it comes to pizza often. If I'm <laughs> going to have pizza, I'm just going to go all out and get like a buffalo chicken pizza and not put any vegetables on it and not even order a salad because I want all that room in my stomach for pizza. <laughs> but, but why fill it up with salad yeah, when there's pizza? I mean, I'm going to be eating pizza. I might as well just focus yeah. on the pizza and why eat a vegetable, you know? So it's well, there's definitely different there's that all or nothing perspective is there's different shades of it too. Well, yeah, yeah and I yeah. think that it also it, I mean, there's one thing to say like I really want the buffalo chicken pizza, so I'm just going to get it and enjoy it and like not feel guilty about it. I mean, stuff that we talk about all the time, but but I think you know, in the grand scheme of things, I think of it in like, okay, if I'm going to have if you're going to have pizza every night and it's like non-negotiable. Like some people are like, this is just what I want to do for dinner. There's a way to make it better without having to make it like the perfectly healthy, like cauliflower crust. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. (laughs) um, I think there's a time and a place for both. You know, it's like, yeah, if you want to go out and have that all out, you know, greasy slice and not have the salad and not have whatever, then, you know, it's fine. Do that. But if it's a situation of like, oh, okay, I'm with a group, they're ordering pizza, and I didn't really want to have that, but I'm going to make the better choice, you know, whatever. And again, like, we all know we're not really talking about pizza, right? It's just our, <laughs> it's just our, our uh, metaphor for, for making this gray area work for us. And I totally want to go back, Allison, to what you were talking about with the you know, if you can't get the perfect, perfect meat, you know, then have a donut or just, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. say screw it. And it's like, oh, that's so frustrating because I definitely feel like, especially in my past, like when I um, first started, you know, on my healing journey, you know, like eight, nine years ago, it was like, it was all or nothing mm-hmm. because I felt like I was so sick, you know, I was like, I'm going to do absolutely anything. And and we actually went raw vegan for a time because that's the information that was out there at the time. When you started looking at food allergies and you started looking at, you know, uh, how food actually matters to your wellness, which so many of us aren't taught, you know, growing up, it's just like, oh, it's food and this is what everybody eats. Mm -hmm. But to actually look at right, to actually look at it as like, okay, this matters and there's you know, things I need to take out here, it it was the raw vegan message that was out there. So overnight, you know, we went and cleaned out our kitchen and went from basically standard American diet. I mean, I would do a little better then. I would buy some organic. I would, you know, I like to cook and whatever, but we ate out a lot. We ate fast food. So it was, you know, very much sort of standard American, but went overnight to raw vegan. And, you know, and it was like, that's it. This is, you know, a hard line for me. Like, I'm not going to cross it. Um, but I remained open to the fact that that actually didn't work out well for me. You know, of course, there was a bit of a detox and all over, you know, all that kind of stuff that we know going to raw food. We know, you know, maybe eliminating certain food groups for a time, like, can be a, a detox. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did have a bit of that, but I wasn't getting enough nutrition 
in the chronically ill state that I was in to build my body back up. Mm. You know, I really needed to go more to an omnivore diet. And But it's through the raw vegan community and talking about soaking seeds and nuts and whatever that I discovered West of Price and discovered the idea of traditional foods and bone broth mm-hmm. and pastured meats and eggs and healthy fats and that fats could be healthy. Yeah, that was a mind-blowing uh, discovery for me, too, when I was on my health journey. It kind of changed yeah. everything when you realize you can't eat butter and coconut and avocado and not – you don't need to feel guilty about it because they're good, nourishing foods. Yeah. Exactly. And how, yeah, and how beneficial they are because so many people are so deficient in that. And then from there, you know, realizing, okay, you know, I can do kind of the Western price, the, the traditional foods, but then I needed to go a little bit more towards the paleo or primal template and take out some of the grains. You know, I didn't need to go totally grain free. I did for a time to do some gut healing and I did, you know, sort of gaps and, and those kind of things. And if you don't know what we're talking about, guys, uh, this is all going to be on the show notes. We'll have links to everything. So on realfoodwholehealth.com, just go under podcast, under episodes, just click on this episode and we'll have links to everything we talk about. So links to Jesse's website, links to Allison's website, a way to get to their podcast, the books and everything that we're talking about. Um, it'll all be there. But yeah, so I did the GAPS diet and uh, did some gut healing and then I was able to include some more variety. I was able to go back to, okay, I can have some traditionally, you know, cultured sourdough from Mm -hmm. time to time and not have a health crisis. And, you know, I I talk a lot about the pendulum swing of health. And I'm sure for those that have listened to the podcast, they've heard me say this before, but it bears repeating. So I think in the beginning, we have this tendency to go all the way over you know, to the right. And we're like very, very strict. And then we kind of fall off because that's not really a sustainable way of living. Mm -hmm. And we fall off the cliff, you know, and we kind of go back to the left a little bit further than we'd like to, because we include some things that we don't really want to eat or don't really serve us. And we, you know, maybe fall back into some old habits of living and whatever that we don't like. And then I feel like we kind of experience the negative effects of that and then kind of go back a little bit more and land in the middle to a place of more balance. And that's really like, you know, because in the beginning, I didn't want to have anything less than the most perfect source of meat. I didn't want to go to family dinners and, you know, compromise at all. You know, like, yeah, I would eat before I went. I would take, you know, our own food. It was very divisive in the family and like even now like I have standards that I won't you know that I won't compromise I have lines but I have a lot more wiggle room than I did before and I think that's just become as a result of time as a result of learning what works and what doesn't and that I can have balance Mm -hmm. because and after healing really you know when you are so super sick you sometimes you have to be really really strict for a while yeah. yeah, I would say that, I mean, I've worked with a lot of people that I've put, we've worked together to be on those strict, strict elimination diets where they're only eating certain foods that they know make them feel good. And I would say that with any, whenever you're changing your way of eating, especially if you're going to something like paleo or doing something like a Whole30, that step after you've healed and finding balance is one of the hardest because it is, you do have to go too far in the other direction mm-hmm. to find that balance, unfortunately, or I'll, you know. So it's, or you don't know where the line is. Exactly. Right? And it's right. about trial and error. And 
I always tell people that in when you're figuring out what works for you when it comes to food, there's no such thing as mistakes or failures, only learning experiences. Because if you didn't go too far to the other side, you'd never know, you know, and you learn from that experience. Right. If you get that rash again or you have those digestive symptoms again, you go, okay, that that can't come back in to my diet. That's not going to be part of my lifestyle right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I I talk about I um I've probably mentioned it on our podcast like a million times, but the this book Better Than Before and it's by Gretchen Rubin. It's all about mm-hmm. eating habits and um and one of the things that she always talks about is some people are abstainers and some people are moderators. And I do think that we're we we might fall into both categories depending on what you're talking about, um like food or technology or whatever. But she talks about how. Some people are work better when they're abstaining and when they're following a really strict program. And she, she's not talking just about dieting, but that's always what I relate it to. Whereas some people like really need those hard and fast guidelines to succeed and to get mm-hmm. to a place where they're healthy. Um, and some people like can't do that and they just need to find something that's more moderate somewhere where there's more like wiggle room to to yeah like have the muffin or the cupcake or the donut once in a while um but she always says like the calling card for an abstainer is someone who like can't just have a little bit like they're either going to go really they're either not going to have any or they're going to go really far in the other direction um but it's interesting because people who i work with who fall into that category always identify themselves as a moderator because they (laughs) think they can't live without that stuff right Um, and so it's just super interesting to like talk to people about it and see where they fall um and and I always think like what you know you guys were just saying is that people anyone can benefit from abstaining for a certain period of time to like get that experience and see how they feel because you're never going to know how good you can feel eliminating sugar unless you do it for mm-hmm. a right. long period of time, not just one day, like you know, a month <laughs> right. or more. Um, and then you could kind of figure out like, well, how much can I have and like still feel good and still enjoy myself. Uh, but I, I do think it's, it's really such an interesting concept that like some people just, you know, fall into one category or the other. Really like that. And it reminds me a little bit of uh, the bright line eating. I don't know if you've heard about that, but, it, you know, bright line is the term that, you know, kind of in legal jargon that it's like a line that can't be crossed. It's like right here, the bright line, you're drawing a line in the sand right. and, and that's the boundary. And so I know in uh, bright line eating, they take out, I think it's, I think it's all, you know, gluten, all sugar, you know, it, it's, it's a non-negotiable. Right. And I think that's great because a lot of people, like you said, really for them, if they go over that line a little bit, and, and we're talking even after, you know, the elimination diet, after some healing, whatever, but even years later, if they were to dip back into a bit of that, it would be a trigger food, it would be a gateway, and it would just really spiral out of control very quickly. So it works better for them to have that line and to not not cross it, just not go there. Just that's not part of my lifestyle, and that's what I do. And, you know, and we could be talking about a wide variety of things. And her stuff came through recovery, like she came through the recovery program. So, you know, a lot of that is kind of what we hear in, like, AA. And, and all of that kind of stuff was like, you know, once you're on the other side of it, that's it. You're on the other side of it. 
Yeah, I was thinking that that sounds a lot like the OA protocol, the Overeaters Anonymous mm-hmm. protocol, where it's no yeah. white flour, no white sugar ever, but then they have mm-hmm. that support system and your sponsor in place. Right. Help you, yeah. Right. Yeah, and so I think it's beautiful that these things exist and that these conversations happen because there are different things that work for people, and I think, again, the biggest success, um, you know, indicator here is being – open-minded and being mindful of what works for you. Because if you do that elimination diet and then you come back and you try to do, you know, hey, does this work for me, whatever, adding back in the dairy, adding back in the, you know, the grains, the sugar, whatever. And if you see yourself going too far the other way and having health problems again and slipping into that, you know, hmm, maybe I need to draw a stronger line here for myself or, oh, yeah, I can have that and then just leave it. You know, like for me, like I can have like a chocolate bar here and I will have one square and I'm totally fine. Yeah. But my husband would be like, hmm, there's a chocolate bar in there, (laughs) isn't there? (laughs) You know, and it's like he does stick with the square too. But it's like for him, it's on his mind of, hey, there's one in the house. And for me, like I would forget that it's even here Mm -hmm. just because that's not my thing. Right. Well, right. Yeah, everybody has their thing. Exactly, yeah. and I think it depends on what your thing is. Because for me, I'm like, if there's a chocolate bar, like, I, maybe I'd forget, but I'd eventually no. remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like ice cream, like I, that's like for me. I, I, I always will know if there's ice cream in the house. Yeah, we always joke <laughs> that like we like bought a little pint of like I don't know where we were. We're on our real food road trip, so we're traveling all over. But we bought. Uh, a little pint of some kind of local, you know, grass-fed, da-da-da, ice cream. And, like, we each had a few bites, and then it sat in the freezer, and I found it, like, a couple months later. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know we had ice cream. And I, <laughs> that was so different than it would have been before, you know. Yeah. Like, I would have been like, oh, let's just eat this because it'll spoil, right? <laughs> I feel like I go through. bad after a day, right? Oh, yeah, you keep, you have to eat the whole pint when you open it or else it goes bad. That reminds me of Arrested Development. Oh, my gosh. She opens the vodka. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah, that's really funny. Uh, um, yeah, I feel like I go through phases where I will never forget that there's a chocolate rabbit in the cabinet, or I just don't remember. But my partner, Michael, is the he's the kind of guy that he's had his chocolate rabbit from last Easter in the cabinet. And, like, a month ago, I was like, you know what? I'm eating this now because he's never going to eat it. It's been in there for a year. He's never gonna miss it but he always makes fun of me because I am the one that ends up eating like his chocolate Santa and his chocolate rabbits because they've been in years but I feel like I go through phases where I really am aware that it's in there and I don't know if it has to do with hormones or like my mood at the time and then there's times when I can totally forget it and I don't need it at all but yeah and that's the thing it's just being like mindful of your goals like okay where do I want to be what is important to me right now and then what your body needs Mm mm-hmm you know, and once, you know, let's be clear, like not all food is only for, you know, oh, I'm just going to put nutrition in my body and that's it. Like food is fabulous and it tastes good and, and it's comfort and it's, you know, all of these things. So yeah. there there are wants and there are needs, you know. Yeah. I think it's important to, I always tell people that, you know, eating out of, eating food for comfort. <laughs> are you this? moving that baby around? I think it's when I'm talking. I'm like disturbing him with my voice. Well, he, he just has something to say. Stuff. Yeah. Did he say there's a chocolate rabbit? Yeah, he says there's three, one from last year and two from this year. You better get busy and eat them all now. 
emotional eating, I think, can be okay because it's true that food can comfort you. It has that power to make you feel good. It's just that, you know, when you're mindlessly emotional eating or when you know you're going to feel guilty and bad about yourself afterward, that's when it becomes that problem. But it's true that food does have this power to make you feel better. Otherwise, we wouldn't eat emotionally, you know? Right. Right. And why, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with, hey, it's a cold night. What sounds great is curling up with a big bowl of, you know, beef stew and, like, you know, just having this wonderful, like, nourishing meal. Like, that's nourishing you on so many levels. Like, that's not really dangerous. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't feel there's any way to say, like, you know, oh, that's bad because you had beef stew two days ago, so you're not going to, you know, or whatever. Like, that doesn't fit into your macros right now. I just don't feel that that's, like, a healthy or sustainable way to live. And, again, like, we know certain people are on certain protocols, and, like, maybe if they're like, oh, what would be great right now is an enormous box of donuts. And it's like that wouldn't really fit in, you know, with what you're doing right now. But, but yeah, like, maybe one donut would or maybe a paleo donut or, you know, whatever – um, but I think that it's important to honor that part of ourselves. Yes, yeah. And have a holistic view of it and not just black and white and, yeah. I was watching um, this episode of Girls the other day. I don't know if you guys watched that show, but Lena Dunham's character had, like, it was an older episode, had started this new job at GQ magazine, and there was, like, a snack room with a bunch of free snacks, and she um, she just, like, you know, obviously took, like, one of everything and then brought a bunch home, and she, like, went to Adam, her boyfriend. She's like, all this stuff was free. And he's like, yeah, but it's, like, all junk food. And she's like, yeah, but it, it was free. Like, it was just, like, she didn't even care if, like, it was stuff that she liked or it was healthy or whatever it was. Like, it was just that it was free. It's free. And so it's free, therefore we should eat it. I think, like, right. that's, like, one of those instances where, like, no, just because something is free doesn't mean uh, you need to eat it. I think that's what I always say. Like, if somebody just gives you rat poison, like, do you want right. it? No. Yeah. I think <laughs> Alice and I probably saw that and experienced that a lot when we worked at Whole Foods. I feel like there was always, like, something that was, like, out of code, like, old and stale but mm-hmm. free. And, like, people – it was, like, such a weird social experiment because – There'd be like a bag of stale pretzels and people would like go to town on it, even though they knew they were stale, but because they were free, they were like, people wanted them. Yeah. (laughs) You would never go through that. That's just so nuts. That's funny. It is about having that, you know, that little bit of line of like quality, you know, a little bit of a standard of like, what am I putting in my body? Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. And again, you know, it's not just food. Like I know we talk a lot about food because we're all food and nutrition nerds, you know, you know, we love it, but there's so much more to nourishment than just food. And I know we've touched on that with the community and with whatever, but, you know, I think it's the same with movement. You know, people can get into like the chronic cardio and all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff and like punishing themselves Mm -hmm. at the gym. And it's like, instead of moving naturally and, and in a way that, you know, fills them up and it's like, wow, that was energizing and inspiring and or grounding or whatever. Um, rather than, okay, I am a bad, I ate whatever and I have to move my body for two hours or whatever. Yeah. I remember you mentioned this once and I can't remember what it was called. I think it was something Alice Waters had said 
the energy that gets transferred through your food. So for instance, like I would, there's a place down the street from my house, Union Square Donuts. Allison knows it. It's delicious. They have the most amazing donuts in the whole world. It's like a small local shop um, that just makes delicious donuts. I would definitely go there and get a donut and go to town on it and really enjoy it. But I would never think to go to Dunkin' Donuts and get a donut. Like that's just, not where my mind would go. Mm-hmm. And even though there's probably very, very similar ingredients in both donuts, like maybe the ones by me are like less processed or whatever, it's still fried dough with sugar on it. <laughs> so like it's pretty much the same thing, but I feel like the energy coming from one is so much more pure and like yeah. one's made yeah. with love yeah. and care and integrity and the other one's like mass produced and right. right yeah it's the energetics of food it's such a different connection to go to the farmer's market and shop than just going to like the bargain grocery store right such a different energy and does that mean that you can't get nourishment from stuff from somewhere else of course not but there are other levels on which that is an experience. Right. And I find that as you change to real food and you change to these sources, you really crave that experience more than you don't. You know, I find that, like, as we're traveling around, it's really lovely to connect with the local farms and farmers markets where we are. And, I mean, in fact, that's one of the big reasons we went into farming. We had a farm for three years. And, We didn't know what the heck we were doing when we started. You know, I mean, we were both from the suburbs and we'd only had like dogs and cats and fish and whatever. And nobody had ever had a chicken or a goat or a pig or anything. And then, you know, we were like, let's let's do this. Let's do this thing. Like we care about where our food comes from. If we're going to eat meat, we should be able to raise it and put it on the table. And it's like, you know, so let's let's do it. And so we ended up, you know farming in the woods of New Hampshire and it was, you know, organic and pasture raised and soy free and whatever, because we couldn't find what we wanted at the markets. And we wanted to be connected with the whole story of where our food was coming from. And I mean, you know, it grew to over 200 animals and it was like (laughs) chickens, ducks, goats, pigs, rabbits, you know, like, and we did everything. We learned how to 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 keep them and and you know honor their natural um behaviors we learned about breeding we learned about you know incubating we did the butchering ourselves like you know just like really learning the whole thing and being connected to it and that was such a rewarding experience and could i go and get those foods somewhere else yes but was it the same as when i had you know done it myself and known that chicken from egg to oven really you know (laughs) yeah yeah wow it's a whole other layer of experience it really is and i have not experienced that (laughs) well it's hardcore it is i would uh i would not probably do it again on that scale i will say that we did realize i mean the reason that we're not currently farming uh we realized that it was not sustainable for us like we were not going to be full-time uh organic farmers Mm -hmm. and like to make it and not you know lose all your money uh you (laughs) you kind of have to have like either a big support system like we moved where we didn't 
have any, we didn't know anybody. We didn't have any family there. Uh, we didn't have the housing for interns or woofers or anything to come, you know, help us. So it was really just us. I was running my practice. Matt was working full time. Like, uh, it's not sustainable, you know, to do it in that manner. And so that was something that we really got way burnt out on. And, you know, cause it is like more than 24 seven, yeah. you know, for sure. You know, and so now we're traveling and checking out other farms and farmers markets and areas and just sort of doing the complete opposite of being tied down on a farm for three years. So <laughs> that's awesome. it's really about what's important to you. It's really about the connection. It's really about that energy that's coming from the food. And, and that's why it is so important to at farmers markets and whatever, like know where your food is coming from because it feels like so different than just going to the regular grocery store and just getting like, oh, yeah, this is a name brand or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, of course, we know the nutrition is vastly different, but the experience and the connection and the energy coming through the food and what you're supporting in the food chain, the farmers, the workers, you know, what chemicals are being used, like, it matters. Yeah. Well, ladies, this has been so lovely. I so appreciate your time today. And what a fun conversation. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks. So much for being here. Again, guys, listening, um, the all the links are going to be on the show notes. Again, that's realfoodwholehealth.com. Under podcast, under episodes, click this episode, and you'll find links to all we've talked about today. Allison and Jesse, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today, and please remember to leave us an iTunes review. Also, head over to our website at realfoodwholehealth.com and enter your email to receive free goodies, discounts, updates, and more. See you next time on the Real Food Whole Health Podcast.